0: This is the Rising Tide Startups Podcast, where we chat with startup founders from all over the globe to help you escape the cubicle and begin your own startup journey. Make sure you take notes. Every episode of Rising Tide Startups is sponsored by Podbrand Media. Let Podbrand create and host your company branded podcast. Learn more at podbrandmedia.com. This is Kevin Pruitt with another episode of Rising Tide Startups. And I have a very special guest today in a in a very uncertain time. But Aviv and Yosef. Aviv, thanks for joining us on Rising Tide. Thanks for having me, Kevin. So we've had, had a opportunity to chat a little bit before we hit the big red record button. But Aviv, if you and I just met, you know, cold and, and in a networking event, how would you introduce yourself to me?
1: Well, mostly. Nowadays, what I do is I help tech executives lead teams they're proud of leading, and that's like my calling—helping create these teams
0: that are our career highlights. And family?
1: Family. We can get we can get into that, <laughs> um, of course. Well, I'm from Israel. I have three kids and my lovely wife. And when it comes to, you know, in general, I, I, I'm, I'm a geek. I've been, I taught myself to code ever since I was like nine years old. I've always been enamored with technology. So my life keeps being about it, even if I no longer write a bunch of code for a living. And when it comes to hobbies, nowadays, it's mostly chess, even though I suck and kids beat me all the time. <laughs> and uh, And learning Italian.
0: Learning, it's all right. Well, you know, you you yeah. kind of have that that look about you. You know, you could curl the mustache out a little bit and use your hands more when you talk. You know, you could you could maybe yeah. pull that off for sure. But yes, I I am curious. So you know, obviously, probably from a young age, you you were into tech. But you you mentioned off camera, you talked a, bit, a little bit about you know you also did this. You know, when you had military service as well. So walk through you. So before you answer that question, I do ask a. Pre interview question for the guests to fill out. And it just mm-hmm. says, you know, what's one surprising thing that people don't know about or whatever. And Aviv, do you remember what you put on that uh, survey that I sent I'm you? I'm unsure.
1: Is it related to Iranian servers? E-
0: Exactly. Exactly. You want to, yeah, this is the most unique response I've ever had in five and a half <laughs> years of doing this podcast. So please let our listeners know what is the unique thing about you. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, so as I said, I, w- I was a geek uh, ever since I was young, and around junior high, I decided that I didn't just want to learn how to code. I wanted to get into hacking because it looked cool, honestly. So I kept learning and doing stuff, but I came to a point where you know, there's only so much you can learn just in theory. I wanted to do stuff in practice. But I was also a, you know, a good little kid. So I'm not going to do anything that's going to, uh, you know, end up with me being in jail or anything. So I was thinking and thinking. And th- again, this is the thinking of someone who's like 15 years old or something. But I'm like, okay, I'm in Israel. I'm pretty sure if I hack anything in Iran, no one's going to extradite me over there. So that, that's a good, legit target. So what I ended up doing is, I, I just for practice, I would... Look up service there, you know .gov.ir as an Iranian government service, and just practice over there. And the second I, I hacked those and got access, I didn't do anything. I, I can't read Farsi, so I, I even if I wanted to, I couldn't do anything useful with it. But once I got access, I just let let them be. But that's what I did. And funny story: when you get, you know, there's compulsory service at 18 in Israel, and as part of my all sorts of interviews to decide where you're going to go, I ended up going to the Israeli equivalent of the NSA. And as part of the whole classification service process, they ask you, did you commit any digital crimes? And I'm like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Define crime. <That's> right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm going to end up you know, being a real soldier on the border or something like that. And I tell them what I just told you and – you know, the soldier who was doing this just looked at me that didn't even flinch. She's like, yeah, okay, sure. She, she just reaches for a folder, gives me a ready set form for this. So they just signed this that you're not going to do it again. I'm like, oh, okay. So you're used to this. I'm guessing. <laughs> and I just signed it and that's it. And turns out, you know, they're looking for these kids mm-hmm. to just get them enlisted to where they want to. So <laughs> I'm guessing I get lucky.
0: So it, isn't it, isn't it a little scary how easy it was for you to get inside though? I mean. Just oh
1: yeah, but, you mean, know we're talking like almost twenty years ago. Or something yeah. like I think that
0: things have improved. They're a little more sophisticated. now, I would imagine <laughs> yeah. that's, that's right. You know, on the Iranian side, they were probably scrambling over there, going somebody is hacking into <laughs> servers <laughs> from and, Israel. Yeah, <laughs> from Israel. That's exactly right. So set the alarms off. You know, for yeah, sure. well, like yeah. I didn't, I didn't, you know, start any diplomatic incident without knowing. Yeah. I, I did a, I did enjoy that that uh, line you said. I didn't think I was going to get extradited. <laughs> yeah, I think the chance of extradition is probably pretty low in that direction, <laughs> but uh anyway, <laughs> man, I could I could chase that rabbit a lot, but I I'm here <laughs> to talk about your business. So, walk us through kind of your your business journey, your, you know, your just briefly touch on like employment history like post, you know, service. Mhm.
1: Yeah, sure. So I served in the army for about four years. Then I went and worked at IBM because I had a bunch of friends there in a startup that was just recently acquired. And they told me, no, no, it's, it's a startup. Come join us. It was IBM. Okay, it's like <laughs> they, they noticed because, you know, it's like the frog boiling. But for someone who joined, I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. this is IBM. So I left and I joined as the first employee of a startup a fintech startup here that was a bunch of fun and I worked there for a few years, ended up getting acquired and really was like an, an amazing school for me. I learned so much about software engineering and stuff like that. And just about when my wife got pregnant for the first time, I decided that if I'm ever gonna do something that's not just being a for hire, you know, an employee engineer, now's mm-hmm. that that was a good time. So I started with a few years where I was a freelance coder, and I worked with a bunch of amazing startups, mainly here in Israel. Mm-hmm. Many of them now are you know, acquired, IPO, unicorns, and I learned a lot, provided a bunch of impact and was really, I, I get hooked on the impact. As someone who really enjoys coding, I, I think it, it's related to what I did in the Army. I didn't. Ever cared too much about technology being too cool? I really cared about what I was enabling with that code mm-hmm. I was creating.
0: Yeah, the end product, yeah.
1: Exactly. And, you know, helping so many companies and seeing how I'm helping them close sales faster, grow faster, get, get these wins, I just get hooked on that. And that's what I was doing for a few years. And then with time, I started noticing that you know because I'm talking to all of these startups and I'm seeing how they work, instead of getting the same pattern matching capabilities a good engineer coder has for you know spotting bugs in code really fast, I started getting those for organizations. And I noticed that the hallway conversations I was having with founders, with executives, were providing them sometimes even more value than my mm. hourly coding work. And that kicked me off on this tangent that eventually turned into what I'm doing now full-time, which is coaching, advising tech executives, mostly CTOs, but also CEOs, CPOs nowadays, helping them personally, you know, executive coaching and helping them grow. I always say you have to grow faster than your organization. And also when it comes to creating these amazing teams that Don't get slower with time or as they grow, but actually become something again, you're proud Mm -hmm. of leading because life's too short to lead an average team.
0: You know, I've interviewed a lot of people, more than 300, you know, startup founders and some of those consultants, some of them authors, some coaches, you know, in that, in that span. But I really think this may be the first time that I've seen such a stark transition from, you know, there's there's the tech, so there's kind of the left brain and the right brain, you know, the tech versus creative almost. It looks mm-hmm. like to me that you can, you can, you started out obviously on the left side of the brain and somehow you figured out how just almost accidentally, you know, became right brained, you know, in that as well, where you could relate to, you know, C-suite and and be able to coach them strategically and relationally not just yeah. technically. So what happened? I mean, that is such a, it's such a rare combination, you know, of skills. So what, is there something you can look back, even at your childhood, you can think, you know, I was the kid that got picked on on the playground and I encouraged my friends that didn't have anybody to sit with them at the lunch table. You know what? <laughs> I mean, I want to dive really deep in here. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I think you hit the nail on
1: the head up right there because it, to me, it felt like a surprise as I was going into it. I kept being surprised because ever since I was, you know, a nerdy teenager, I was, I kept telling myself, you know, I'm the introvert. I just give me my tasks. let mm-hmm. me do the, Leave code me alone. And I'm going to yep. get there. Exactly. But when I became this freelancer and I started talking to a bunch of people that I knew and many people, especially here, you know, in Israel, we have such an amazing hub of startups mm-hmm, and sure. I've got, so, you know, I, I can throw a rock without hitting a founder um so i I have so many friends who ended up being early employees in startups or being founders and i start talking to a lot of them because i was considering should i just become a CTO and start something what should i do what's like my unique advantage and so many of them said you know you're you're an amazing coder but you you also have this capability of being very good when it comes to listening to people and seeing what's lying under the surface or helping a few people who don't agree come to terms or notice when people have this communication gap and then you know I started looking looking back and realizing that this is something that I'm I'm doing mm-hmm. um, unaware as even you know at family dinners not because I always try and make peace but because I you know, maybe like a good engineer, I'm never married to a certain, you know, technology or approach. And I'm also usually, I don't have strongly held opinions. I can live with a bunch of dissonance and also realize that the Mm -hmm. world is gray, And that's when I realized that maybe this sort of thing is very useful when it comes to helping bridge the gap between the tech part of a business and the business part of the business. And this this is mainly what I learned. Like for, for the first couple of years, I kept saying that I'm a bridge or someone called me a zipper. I helped
0: bring together <laughs> so those not, different parts of the, of the company. That's description, yeah. Yeah. And now here's a quick word from one of our new sponsors on Rising Tide Startups. Have you been wanting to start a podcast but not sure where to start? Well, now you can start a podcast in less than 24 hours. I'm David Ezell and I'll walk you through all of the things that you need to get started today. Things like how to choose the right microphone, how to edit your audio, and how to find guests and build a pipeline of future guests. This course does a great job of keeping things high level while also diving into the things that keep most people from starting. Even better, if you use the code RISING at checkout, you'll get 20% off your purchase. But that's only if you use the code RISING at checkout what are you waiting for start your podcast today i'm okay with you being a bridge what i don't want you to do is design the bridge because we don't it's not okay to live in the gray in the distance i mean yeah we, we got to be <laughs> spot on on those measurements you know it's it, there's no there's no yeah. allowances or deviances. <laughs> your, your deviation <laughs> we can allow but um i think the one thing that that is unique about about what you said just a second ago and i think is so applicable to so many people that are sitting in the cube and they're thinking okay i gotta do something you know i'm going crazy i feel like i'm in a jail cell you know here instead of a a, a job but the idea that you listened to people and they confirmed or affirmed you know your skill set they affirmed what you were good at what they came to you for is i think is really important and at what point did that light bulb kind of come on in your, in your mind that said, Hey, I, I've heard this like five times in a row now, you know, what I, I maybe I need to start listening to this, you know, maybe I need to need to kind of do a little, little transition, a little slide, a little pivot.
1: Well, it started exactly. As I said, when I started having these hallway conversations with founders, and again, you know, my mindset was I'm a really good engineer, and I was paid a lot, like really a lot, by startups to help them solve things fast. But in my mind, I'm like, they only need me because, you know, I make the keyboard go clickety-clack really Mm -hmm. good. But I noticed that these founders who are very busy, have a lot of stuff, Sometimes they were just approaching me to ask things, and I saw that they really valued my opinion. And other times, uh, for example, one time we worked uh, at a startup where I was, you know, we executed a brilliant, brilliant technological achievement, did something that was amazing, you know, huge technological shift from one sort of framework to the other, millions of users, no one even noticed it. Amazing, amazing, amazing. When later on, when we celebrated and I was talking to the founders, they said, oh, this took two months longer just because we want to have no effects in user and preserve the history entirely. I'm like, yeah, exactly. And they're like, oh, if you had told us that, we would have skipped that, you know, put a blog <laughs> post saying you're going to lose your history in a week and that's it and save two months. Yep. And, you know, I was, I was a guard. The CDO I was working with who told me what to do. He never even thought about that. And for me, that's like, that was one of the biggest, you know, light bulb bulb moments. Because I'm like, oh, oh, there's a lot of value in someone who can see that, you know, doing things Mm -hmm. right in airports when it comes to the technological solution doesn't necessarily mean doing what the business really values. Mm -hmm. And that set me off on that trajectory. The, you know, the hallway conversations along with moments like those where I noticed that, oh, us being amazing technologists sometimes even made a you know it was sometimes to our detriment because maybe a different team that wasn't as good they would have said it's going to take us 10 months someone would have asked why and then okay so then do it but because we could have done things relatively fast Mm -hmm. we still ended up doing things that weren't needed Mm -hmm. and i love coding but I hate code. I always say that the best code I ever write is a code I never write. And mm-hmm. I try to delete code more than code that mm-hmm. I write whenever I started working with a new company. So, you know, all that together fit with I need to help companies change things. That's one. And another thing, and this relates again to my army. Uh, I don't want to go, you know, too nostalgic. So feel free to just shoot me down <laughs> if it's too long. But uh, when I enlisted, you know, I'm like 18 and a half. We're a bunch of kids. None of us have real world experience, but what something that's unique about the Israeli army is that you have this notion of reservists. Essentially, you can call up anyone who used to be on the team, mm-hmm. like 10, 15 years ago, and and ask them to come and work with you side by side for a few days. You know, if if you know at wartime they have to, and these times, they don't have to, but like ninety percent of the cases they're going to come, and we had those and person after person would tell me oh you're you're you don't even understand how lucky you are you're never going to work with a team that's as good as right now hmm. and they were saying it as if it's it was a good thing but for me i'm like i was listening like are you saying that this is this is it like, <laughs> i'm 18 as good and as it I, gets. you know that's i'm right. yeah exactly i'm 18 and you know it's just downhill and for me that was always on my mind and that was why i went after the army to work with in a, a team in ibm that's mainly people from my unit that's why i went to to be the founding engineer at a startup that was a bunch of people from my unit but because i had this fear but then eventually i realized no it doesn't have to be like that we can do that yeah we're not going to have the same tasks that you have when you're you know Every system that you work on can help for the security of your state, okay, but still, you can do things that matter that you're proud of and have an amazing team around you and again, this was on as I said when we started right, I want to help you lead a team you're proud of leading. I want to create these teams so we you don't just look back to when you were a team. Uh, But we can create something that every day is still the pinnacle of your career. So that's what I'm aiming for. And all this like sort of culminated together about five years ago.
0: So have you transitioned completely to my my full time gig is just coaching C-suite on how to lead teams well?
1: Yeah, yeah, about five years ago, I completed the transition uh, maybe four years ago, a bit before COVID, uh, essentially. And I was lucky because that set me off on a trajectory that was lucky back then because during COVID, it somehow became a lot easier to do this with a bunch of people abroad. Before that, people mm-hmm. wanted to yep. work with coaches uh, and you know consultants that could in the office, right. exactly. But then it just it got unlocked and I'm so happy because I get to work with people all over the world. It's a lot of fun. you know clients in in Greece in in Spain and in the States and everywhere. It's just it's so much fun and I really enjoy that. And I actually used COVID because I spared so much commuting and wrote my first book and that really helped me make, you know complete the transition and really work with people globally.
0: Mhm. And is it primarily tech teams, like tech tech startups or tech companies that you're consulting with?
1: Yeah, yeah, I would say 95% of the companies I work with, I work with their tech teams, the R&D teams, helping them. Sometimes I do help like bigger companies where we're talking about organizational development in general, or sometimes I work with product teams or research teams. But most of what I do is aimed at making this product engineering beast—that's usually the biggest part of startups and a big chunk of their
0: budget—making this thing a lean, mean, value shipping machine. Mm-hmm. And and not just the product, the team that's building the product. How how can they work yeah. well together? It is interesting. I I you are you familiar with the book Strength Finders? I don't think so. So there's a there's a book that's been you know in the, primarily in the U.S. probably business scene, but uh, for a long time that where you take this pretty long, like self-evaluation exam, and it kicks out like your top five, you know, strengths, characteristics, you know, that based on this survey, and it would be really interesting for you to take that. That, you know, exam and you'd probably the machine would probably blow up <laughs> trying to evaluate, <laughs> you know, it's like this is such an anomaly, you know, of, of answers here. I, we don't know what to do with it. You know, it's it's uh, it's going to twist its little m- mechanical brain in in knots. But um, <laughs> it would be interesting to take that and, and see what what your top five. You know strength so that they it would call that you know it would it would say out of thirty five qualities or whatever it would it would evaluate that but uh i I am I'm interested to to hear when you first made this transition it's easy to evaluate like we need a coder, this is the task, this is how much the the market is to pay this out here everybody sees the need. There's no learning curve. Mm-hmm. There's no, I mean, it's, we got to do it just like we got to have doors on the building to be able to lock, you know, but yeah. I can help your team be more efficient. I can help your team be more productive. I can t- help you, you work better together. That seems a little more ethereal. Was there a a little bit of a learning curve or a education curve that you had to take people through? Were they a little less you know, a little reticent to, to just dive in and say, let's go for it. What were some of those yeah. early conversations?
1: Well, it, it was, it was unusual, you know, even for me, like I had to see that I could actually do this and I got help. Like I got for years, I've been working with a coach, and manager called Alan Weiss from the States. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took me a while to find a way of doing this that actually worked out for me and worked out for my clients. And in the beginning, uh i actually was lucky because a lot of the people i knew and past clients actually trusted me to do this before i trusted myself Um, and that's how i initially started and got those first few wins Mm -hmm. that were then you know what i used to get the next ones yeah that makes sense um but i did i still sometimes people ask me you know what's your metric of success and it's so hard because when you work with startups And or you know, i'm let's say you're a CEO that I'm coming to help with. Usually you either have like ten different fires to put out, or even if we decide on something specific within a month, you're no you can't even remember what we talked about a month mm-hmm. ago. You have a new thing going on. So setting up a goal usually didn't hold up. And what I ended up doing is that like 99% of the cases, I worked with someone in increments of one quarter and I say my my you know as a business as a whole my indication that what I'm doing is good is that in general people tend to renew more than one quarter that means that even after they paid and they saw what I can help them with they decide okay I want more of that it's no longer just how good am I at marketing they saw it and decided to do it again uh, and I can say that you know till the, to this day I have like I'm guessing only a handful of people who only did it for one for and then stopped and mm-hmm. mostly people just renew have clients and have been working with me for over two years in a row now. Mm. And that's a lot of fun because it just shows you that they're getting their value.
0: Yeah. No doubt. And I, and I, it's interesting when I ask that question, you know, I always have a conversation going on in my brain at the same time, thinking about the next <laughs> yeah. question, but the idea that, you know, I, I doubt that I was thinking to myself, I said, I doubt that he just went cold Turkey and started email blasting his friend saying, Hey, I've got a new service. I mean, probably your first clients for people that reached out to you and said, Hey, can you help us with, you know, ABC type things? So it is interesting. I mean, yeah. I think one of the key metrics of, you know, our, key performance indicators for you would be just testimonials you know just outcomes i mean you you talked about that's what you care about you know and the the just yeah. the, the code's not the issue it's that what does the code do and it, you know the outcome would be like if you work with teams they say you know hey we can we can quantify what happened you know we can say we think that's a 20% improvement or you know we delivered 6 months earlier or whatever but i think at the end of the day i mean a lot of that is just like you know kind of almost anecdotal that says you know what we're just better we are a better team people people enjoy their work more they're more efficient they're more productive they are turnover has has decreased you know our retention of key employees has improved all those little you know side metrics that we're kind of looking at I think you know would be you know gold you know for you know previous clients to kind of outline for for future clients because that's who I want to hear from I want to hear from somebody you worked with that is really happy, that's not your brother-in-law. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah, no, I, I get you.
1: That's I, I keep saying that for me, first of all, there's instant gratification. Like I worked with a startup and like within two months, I just happened to be in the office and heard the VP of product saying, to the team i don't think that you realize but we're now delivering like three four times faster than we used to mm. and this was you know partly because of what we we're doing and helping them move mm-hmm. so much faster or the vp that told me uh, at the end of the year we know that we got things two months earlier than we
0: expected
1: we saved two months of r d and you know r d is hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah. a month uh, and i'm like yeah that's, that, that's always fun so for me that's always you the said, first I gotta win. raise
0: my prices
1: <laughs> <laughs> like, do, do tell the CEO but but also what I also like is that I have this sort of a growing portfolio of startups that I worked with that I help mm-hmm. and it's so much fun you know getting a random text from someone I worked with like three years ago two years ago when they're like I just want to let you know that we're still ripping the benefits of what we did. Back mm-hmm. then, or you know, a picture of uh, of someone who used to be more junior when I was there, and like he's now a manager, and we're doing it based on your advice way back then, you know, so, those sorts of things yeah. are just so so fulfilling because you feel like I, I didn't just you know gave them a bunch of nice fish, mm-hmm. but they are now capable of doing things on their own and adjusting to the situation, et that, that's the aim eventually.
0: And when they run into the next, you know, skill they want to master other than fishing, you know, they're, they, they're going to remember, you know, what you did for yeah. them and they're going to, they're going to call you again. But I, uh, man, I could, I could sit here and just continue to ask you questions all day, but uh, I know you've got, you got clients to consult <laughs> and to coach, you know, so I want to let you get back to work, but uh, I would love for you to just to kind of wrap up today, just like what are one or two really critical issues that you think are key for, leading teams well or you know what and what's kind of generic across the across industry across vertical so you know just say these are things that anybody that's trying to lead a team or trying to lead an organization or whatever just keep these in mind because they are just foundational truths yeah
1: so what i see and like the things i keep preaching about as first of all you have to think bottom line you have to think value with engineers with salespeople, with marketing people, it doesn't matter. Um, no one cares how hard you work. No one cares, mm-hmm. you know, how many hours. We care about results. And I keep telling mm-hmm. my clients, you know, if if they could replace you with GPT, they would have, because no one pays <laughs> just to have engineers going, you know, clicking on the keyboard. They want the results of that code. Uh, so that's that. Always keep that in mind. Are going to be replaced by AI uh, eventually. Second always consider that if you're working with creative people you have to create room for them to be creative you know i see companies you know paying fortunes to engineers brilliant engineers they worked so hard to bring in just those precious few and then what do they end up doing they make them slaves for the task manager whatever Mm -hmm. jira whatever tells them to do today and they never think they have a hackathon once a year uh, no, create space for creativity. This is one of the things that make the Israeli army so effective, the, the recent crisis aside, still so effective uh, when it comes to doing a lot with, with almost nothing compared to the States, for example, um, because we are thrifty because we use constraints to create more creativity and because anyone can speak up. You've heard the word chutzpah maybe. Mm -hmm. Anyone can say that's a bad idea or I've got a better idea and let's try my approach. There's no authority. The commander said that we've got to do that. And I always try and create those pockets of creativity and innovation, because those, the companies I worked with that had this are those that when the AI wave started a year ago, they were already ready for it, Mm -hmm. or the companies where engineering isn't just a tool for creating more features, but for creating small superpowers for anyone else in the company, helping all of your colleagues. And this really compounds with time. Um, so those are like the things that I keep preaching for because it just it just works. If you have yeah. that, uh, you're, you're gonna see a bunch of value. people are gonna you know keep saying that was the best manager I ever had. just make that happen and you're gonna see magic.
0: Those are, I mean, those are such, they're, they're fairly generic in, in, you know, reach, but they are really, uh, you know, broad, there's broad impact in both of those. I mean, look what Google does give you a day a week to work on something that's not your job type thing. There's a method Mm -hmm. to that madness. There's a reason that they do that. And just the, the whole idea, I love the way you've kind of wrapped us up today. And, and uh, there's just so much here and we're going to have to have to schedule a a 2.0 version of the, of the podcast to come back and ask you more questions. You actually do your job, but uh, Aviv, (laughs) I just really appreciate you taking time today just to share your story. And, and uh, in the midst of, like we said at the very beginning, very difficult times and uh, just stay safe. And uh, thank you again for just playing your part in helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Aviv, have a great day. You too, Kevin. Thanks. I hope you heard some great takeaways from our guests today. Make sure you reach out to them and thank you again for playing your part in helping all boats rise in a rising tide.